audio. Speaking from experience, like I've spent a lot of my life lying to myself and in like sort of pulling the wool over my own eyes and being like, everything's fine. I'm fine. I'm happy until I'm not. And that's when everything blows up. Hey y'all, I'm Ryan Devlin and welcome to the Struggle Climbing Show where I talk with elite climbers about their struggles and breakthroughs in training, nutrition, tactics, and mental game, and also what they're passionate about beyond the fight with gravity. Now cracking open our hearts and our minds today is the one and only Nina Williams. Nina is a world-famous climber, perhaps best known for her cutting-edge high balls, though as you'll hear her open up about today, her relationship with that chapter of her climbing career is a little bit loaded, carries a mix of emotions for her. Though nonetheless, she is incredibly proud of those climbs, as she should be. They include heady and impressive first female ascents of the stunning buttermilk test pieces Too Big to Flail, a 50-foot V10, Evolution Direct, a 45-foot V11, and Ambrosia, a 50-foot V11. Now, for those who are new to the concept of highballing, those routes are closer to free solos of single pitch 514A than they are to just a typical boulder problem. They are so impressive to see, you can find them all on YouTube. Nina has the strength, both in body and mind, to continue to push highballing to new heights, but as you'll hear her explain today, her interests have shifted for the most part to trad as well as sport, where she has put up some truly incredible sends, including the first female ascent of the Grade 6 Big Wall Route Father Time, a 2,000-foot 13B in Yosemite, and then on sport, the 514B Rumney Classic China Beach, of which Nina just recently clipped chains. What a sick send. You can see parts of that on her Instagram. It's incredible. Nina is a mental coach. She's a board member of the American Alpine Club and is passionate about her education and her training in inter- and intrapersonal communication. And she brings it all together in this conversation. So this is part one of my chat with Nina, the first time that I've ever split an interview into two parts. And why is that? Well, we ended up talking for nearly three hours and the conversation was really kind of broken up into two very distinct parts. The first, which we're covering today, is a quite personal exploration into relationships, romantic and otherwise, and how they've impacted Nina's climbing, her career, and just her life in general. Now, Nina said that this is the first podcast that she's come on in about two years. And so honestly, I just feel like incredibly grateful and honored that Nina chose this as her platform to have this conversation. And since she is a trained and seasoned professional in communication, she does such a beautiful job of taking her personal ups and downs and distilling the learnings in a relatable way and an actionable way for all of us as we navigate our own relationships, relationships, and egos. Now, part two will be more familiar listening territory for all of us as we dive back into training, nutrition, tactics, and mental game. But this episode here is an incredibly special deviation from the format, I think, that is sure to expand your viewpoint, expose some soft spots maybe, and empower you to level up your climbing and just your life in general by taking stock of your relationships. So I'm into a strength phase right now with my training. I've been doing a lot of work on the moon board, and that is for sure one of my big struggles, especially when it's hot and humid, even inside of the gym like it is right now in July. But fortunately, I've been able to keep a tight grip on those challenging holds for me by using the absolute best chalk in the game, y'all, Friction Labs. Their performance chalk lasts longer, and it's free of fillers, rosin, and drying agents, which means your skin stays in great shape. And that is important, especially when you're putting in a ton of volume like I'm doing right now. I've truly noticed the difference whether I'm on the rock in these hot and humid summer days or just pulling max effort moves on the moon board. And I also really appreciate that their packaging is now 100% recyclable. It's truly the best chalk out there, and it just keeps getting better. Y'all can try it risk-free and just see for yourself. That is how psyched they are to help you level up your climbing game. Enter code STRUGGLE20 at checkout for 20% off your first order. Chalk up less and climb more with Friction Labs. The official climbing nutrition sponsor of the Struggle Climbing Show is Fizzy Vantage. Y'all, I've been a paying customer of Fizzy Vantage for a couple of years now, and this stuff is just truly the best of the best if you want to level up your training and your performance. I've been taking their supercharged collagen daily for tendon health, as well as their PowerPlex vegan protein to support my training. And I'm telling you, it's absolutely made a difference for me on and off the wall. I've been able to train harder. 
I've been able to stay healthier than I've ever been in the past. And look, I'm just a weekend warrior. But when I see pros like Alex Magos, Daniel Woods, Natalia Grossman, Jordan Cannon, along with like 40 or 50 other top names in climbing, using Fizzy Vantage every single day, well, I know that I'm in good company. If you guys are looking for that extra edge in your training and your performance, look no further. Hit that link in your show notes or use checkout code STRUGGLE15 to save 15% off any full-price nutrition order at fizzyvantage.com. I'm telling you, you're going to feel the difference. Just swing over to fizzyvantage.com to check it out. All right, let's get rocking here. Big thanks to all of you patrons and subscribers out there who support the show as I'm working really hard over here to bring you all content that I hope brightens your day and improves your climbing. Plus, you get all sorts of bonus content and cool perks, more of which I will share with you at the tail end of this episode. But first, let's get personal with Nina Williams. Honestly, Ryan, I'm a little nervous about this podcast. <laughs> oh, really? Why? Um, kind of just my own projections. I haven't done a podcast. I intentionally haven't done a podcast in, I don't know, a couple, probably a couple years now. Partly because I think I'm still in this like transitionary period of my life. And I've built like a lot of my career on climbing and there's like a weird part of me that's like, oh, you don't have anything valuable to say anymore because you're like still figuring things out, which is not true. Like, I know that's not true, but I think I, I've just, I felt like I pigeonholed myself a little bit with highballing and fear management, all stuff that I'm like still very interested in. The highballing, maybe not so much anymore. And maybe that's like a slight root of the fear is like, oh, if I'm not talking about highballing or all the things that people know me as, like, why would they want to listen to me? And again, I recognize that voice as my own doubt and like, you know, telling me to be small and safe and not take risks. And so that's why I'm here on this podcast to challenge that. Well, I appreciate that. I really appreciate you just identifying that. I think we can all relate to that in some manner or another, you know, our, our egos end up whether we're in sports or our career or whatever it is, you know, our kind of our self-worth is tied up with our ego, which tends to be tied up with some sort of performance or notoriety or accomplishment. And I, my background prior to sitting in my utility closet in my basement doing a, a rock climbing podcast was in Hollywood. And, you know, that's very much like your self-worth is very pinned to just like, how popular are you from day to day? And you're only as popular is the last thing you did and this kind of thing. So familiar waters for me, and I think for a lot of people too, just whether it's career or school or sports or whatever. So I think that's a nice vulnerable place for us to kind of <laughs> jump in and, and kick things off. And yeah, I mean, we can just take this conversation wherever it goes. I'm really grateful for the opportunity. You know, I reached out to you like a year ago, right? When I, when I launched the podcast, I had a short list of names of people that were like the dream guests and you were right at the top and um, you basically just got back to me and you're like hey I'm going through my own struggle right now and you know now's not a good time and then it was and I was like cool and then it was crickets for like a year and then I was just so delighted to get your email and maybe that could be like a good place for us to kind of jump in and just talk for a second which is kind of what happened between my first email and now that we're having this conversation it sounds like you were going through some stuff and maybe have come through some of that stuff and here we are talking and so if that's a, a good place to start maybe we could just kind of talk about that yeah let's see where to start so yes at the time i was struggling personally in a mental level in a relational level and felt like i was so in in my box in my stuff that i thought you know if i'm gonna go on a podcast it's going to be me processing in the moment and I still kind of feel that way. So I guess I want to preface all of this of like, I am a dynamic changing human being. And what I say today may not be what I necessarily like believe, or will be the same person like a year from now, or, you know, more than that. So sure. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure life out continuously. But I, over the past, like, 
two, three years, four years, et cetera. Like I've definitely been through some stuff, some kind of changes in perspective and my general approach to like climbing and mindset and ego and all of the things. So I declined the first invitation because I didn't think like where I was at emotionally at that time, I was in this pretty dark place of guilt and uncertainty, lots of blaming of myself for things that I had, decisions that I had made at that time in my life, which I can like get into a little bit <laughs> um, down the road. But now it's like a year later, year and a half later, and I feel, I feel more at peace with everything. And again, happy to take us through that process. But being on this podcast now is for me a step in that direction of pushing outside of the comfort bubble that I kept for myself of like, oh, I need to retreat and I need to, you know, keep a lot of things to myself and, you know, not let anyone see the vulnerability or the weakness or the fear. Yeah, I'm trying to lean into that a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, good for you. I think it's fucking hard to do that, like, inward looking, that... that it, it, exploration and then understand that there's vulnerability there, that there's a soft spot and then say, you know what, I want to expose this. I want to crack this open and share it with, you know, people beyond your immediate circle. So I, I applaud that. And as we dive in here, if there's like anything that, you know, you just don't want to talk about or you're not ready to or whatever, that's fine. Let's, we'll just keep cranking. And I can see it in your face. Like I can see that you've come through some stuff, like you're on the other side, maybe not fully. Cause I don't know if humans are ever fully on the other side of anything, but I can see that, you know, there's there's been a lot of growth in what you've been through. And I want to dive into all of that. So I think we just should. And we can kind of messily work through this format of the struggle a little bit. I think China Beach could be a great one for us to kind of explore throughout. And by the way, congratulations on that route. Thanks. So cool. Let's dive in. And I guess first, I always like to do this kind of 30,000 foot view. And as we're the struggle climbing show and just ask you what struggle means to you. What's your relationship with struggle? When I think of the word struggle, I actually, I get this physical image or sensation of like resistance and like pushback and like there's something closing in on me or on us or someone and we're trying to like work our way through it and make space against whatever pressure or resistance is like closing in. So the struggle, you know, my, these are just some of my first thoughts is like that attempt at trying to like break open and make ourselves bigger and make more space for ourselves against, yeah, whatever is happening. So that can take the form of, you know, a linear progression or, you know, a more commonly an up and down type of thing. You've got like some progress and you've got some regression and more progress, but the struggle is hard <laughs> no matter which way you look at it. And hard doesn't always mean bad, but if it's a true struggle, then it's not going to be easy. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that perspective. Where are you at in that right now as you're kind of pushing against those forces? Yeah. You know, I've got some breathing room and this is like the first time I'm actually articulating it. I really, I feel like I have some room to expand or I've made some room for myself to expand and move around and start taking a little more action. I tend to get stuck in like a learning, like, oh, I have to know all of the information possible or I have to be as prepared as I can in order to take action. And even less than that, like in my darkest times, I'm not even in that learning mode. I'm just like full self-protection. Like I can't do anything. I just have to like focus entirely on like, oh, like me in this small space. But now I feel like, oh, I've, I've created like new relationships in my life. I have, you know, I've been taking this awesome new like communication certification class that will allow me to expand my leadership and consulting business, coaching business. And it's just like, oh, I can like take a deep breath. Like I don't feel the pressure or the enclosing, the impending doom <laughs> of whatever that means. <laughs> in my life. So yeah, I, I feel like I'm a little more free right now. I love it. Right on. Well, good for you. That makes me say you took a deep breath. 
and I sympathetically took a deep breath and I've got two dogs sleeping on my feet right now and they took deep breath. There's like a, a contagiousness of deep, relaxing breaths happening in the podcast booth right now. I appreciate that. I can feel it. I can feel that kind of that release just through the screen here talking to you. I don't want to dive into like, how do you train your fingers? I, I, I kind of want to continue to just peel back on this for a little bit. I do want to learn how you train your fingers. And I think people probably do too, as one of the strongest climbers in the world. But that just seems so like trite as we're like really peeling back just kind of on, on what I think could be some really rich territory here. So if your game, I'd like to just stay on the theme of relationships for a little bit here and talk about negative relationships, positive relationships, maybe what that means and has meant for your climbing and in your career. I mean, it, it, we don't have to go like full psychoanalysis here on, on the struggle, but we're three-dimensional people. You know, we're all humans and it's easy to take a look at an elite athlete and just check out their green check marks on Instagram or are they performing? Are they not? Are they in the next video that comes out? And we typically focus on some of those more easily identifiable factors here on the struggle. What's your training, nutrition, tactics, and mental game? How does that roll up to you being a, the athlete that you are and what can we learn from it? But one of the areas that we don't touch on nearly as much, we have with some of the guests, but not probably nearly as much is what about all these other factors that go into being a human being that then of course can flow into your training and your climbing and your performance and so yeah if you're game i'd love to just explore relationships with you for a little bit and maybe hear about like what was so rough or kind of shitty and dragging you down for a little bit and what wasn't what was offsetting that and you, you don't have to get specific you don't have to like name names unless you really want to put people on blast but you know i just want to oh, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's dive into that we're we're here for it i'm here for it i will say i you know going into this podcast i kind of started writing down like okay here are things that i want to talk about here are things that i don't want to talk about obviously i'm not going to name names but i mean there's a little bit of tea i want to spill or just some like you know some classic social dynamics or frustrations that i've experienced in my life that i'm like you know what i want to like get it out a little bit in the hopes that other people might be experiencing similar frustrations in their own relationships, like their climbing romantic relationships, partnerships. And a lot of this is stemming from my study and passion for communication, like interpersonal communication, you know, one-to-one -one relational communication, and also intrapersonal communication. So the type of communication we have in ourselves, with ourselves. I'm also like psyched to dive into this idea of perception, you know, the things that, the, how we view the world around us and also interoception. So how we feel, how we like physically or emotionally feel on the inside and getting more in touch with that. Anyways, lots of esoteric stuff we can dive into that I'm happy to. Yes. But I think I'll start honestly, like when the first small bits of my struggle started to appear. And that was probably right after I did Too Big to Flail, which is my crown jewel achievement in high ball climbing and i did say at the when you and i were talking i was like i don't want to talk about high balls <laughs> in this podcast you'd say that but i will say all of this sort of started after i did too big to flail because it was such a big achievement for me and it was it also felt like kind of the last achievement that truly felt like it was for me like i wasn't doing too big to flail because I wanted to like further my career or because I wanted to be known as this like highballing expert. Mm -hmm. A lot of my sessions, pretty much all, the majority of my sessions on too big to flail, I went out there by myself. There were no filmers, there were no videographers or photographers. Like I would go out there, I would get on the boulder and I would top rope it and I'd work all the moves and I would be like listening to music and just totally in my own world. And it was so nice. And this is like, I guess maybe a spoiler alert, but in, for the real rock film that I was in, like when I actually did Too Big to Flail, there were only three people there. There was my partner at the time and then two of our friends, one person taking photos and another person taking video that we picked up like on the way to the boulder, very last minute. One of the the guy who was filming, Josh Huckabee, we like grabbed him on the way. We were like, oh, 
we're going to go up to, you know, Beehive area and film a highball. Do you want to come? And he was like, sure. Thinking we were going to go film Secrets of the Beehive, which is like a V7. <laughs> he saw all the pads that we had. He was like, wait, what are we doing? <laughs> and so for the Real Rock film, like all a lot of the close-ups, a lot of the like crimping and the footwork for that stuff was actually filmed afterwards because they mm -hmm. hit me up and they were like, hey, we want to do a segment on this climb. And I was like, cool. So I reclimbed a lot of the stuff on top rope for some of those shots. And for that just like, just... like a, like a close-up on your foot on a tiny little smear or something like that. Yeah. Just like yeah. insert shots. Got it. Got it. And so this was like weeks later or months this later. Weeks later. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So all the footage in my real art in my segment, it's like the far away footage where you can see the whole boulder. That's all. That was like from the actual day, but any of the close-ups. Like, it's not, that wasn't the day. And I don't know, maybe people might be disappointed to re to learn that. But for me, like, it kept the experience very pure and very, like, you know, no pressure. Like, I wasn't trying to perform for anyone but me. And I honestly, like, the day that I did it, I didn't care if someone, like, I was going to set up my own iPhone and be like, cool, I've got, you know, the uncut footy kind of thing. But I was like, I don't, you know, I just want this for me. And just so, so just to set the stage here, too, for people who are listening, I mean, this was uh, too big to flails this, you know, monster. What is it? 50 feet or taller V10. Alex Honnold had the first ascent on that, I believe. And no women had climbed it. You're the first woman to to send that route. It's a route. It's 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 not a boulder. It's like it's that is a that is there could be four bolts on that thing. But. It was such a huge deal. It was such a groundbreaking thing. But you were still at your point in your career where were you kind of keeping it a secret or was there just wasn't a lot of attention on you at the time? Because you said this was kind of like the last almost maybe purely pure like climbing experience that you had where you didn't feel that external pressure to perform or to to make your sponsors happy or all the pressures I'm sure that that befall an elite athlete. Was it an intentional, pure experience or was it that was the accomplishment that then tipped you into a little bit of a new stratosphere with regard to kind of your status as an athlete? Yeah, it wasn't intentional. Like I wasn't really trying to keep it a secret. I wasn't going overboard and like, you know, posting all about it all the time or trying to overshare necessarily. But I think it was what was hap what happened afterwards, which was people started even like some of my other highballs, people were like, oh, what are you going to do next? What's your next highball? And then especially after Too Big to Flail, people are like, oh, what's next? What's your big highball project? And I'm like, I think <laughs> I've peaked. <laughs> like, I can't, I, not that I maybe necessarily can't, but I don't really want to do anything like bigger or harder because like I love my life and I love my life the way it is. And I don't want to like, I recognize the danger and the risk of that type of climbing. And I didn't want to continue my highball climbing because people expected it of me. And again, pigeonholed me as a highball climber and was like, oh, like Nina's got to do something bigger and better. Like, you know, I, I wanted to do it for myself. And if I, if there were, for me, if there was any hint, like I would always ask myself why, like, why am I doing this? And it's, you know, because I felt like I had to further my career or because there was some sort of external validation or pressure, like that was, that's a warning sign for myself. Not saying I would never like climb another highball, but for me, like if I want to climb a highball, I want it to be beautiful and like in a in an incredible area and like to have it really speak to me. And I haven't felt that yet. Well, I mean, there's like some highballs out there. I'm like, oh yeah, like I would definitely love to try that. But I think it was more this expectation of people being like, what's next for you highballing wise? And I was like, nope, I'm going to flip everything. Like I'm going to do something entirely different because now that I feel like I'm entering this lane, this like one type of climbing lane, like I want to do something else. I want to expand and grow as a climber and just, yeah, just expand the skill set. So, so what was kind of coming off of too big to flail, and then, and this maybe is what will help dovetail us into some of the relationship exploration that that's kind of post that chapter. But what was your emotional or your mental space having done that? Yeah, I was really satisfied. I was very happy, very full, and 
felt like I had some space to breathe a little bit and be like, cool. Generally with my projects, I actually am pretty good at resting afterwards of being like, I am psyched and happy with this and I'm going to, you know, bask in that glow a little bit and just like keep it for myself for a while and appreciate like a lot of the work and preparation that I put into it. So after Too Big to Flail, kind of like maybe during this time or slightly afterwards, this was when I decided to go back to school and expand myself in a way that wasn't climbing related. So while I was working Too Big to Flail, I was getting certified as a professional coach, both in like life motivational development coaching. And in that program, I mean, we had to like coach ourselves. It was really awesome. And I know there's like a lot, everyone's a life coach these days. I like fully am able to laugh at a little bit of that baggage that comes along with the title. But genuinely, this program forced me to look at a lot of my own limiting beliefs and doubts that I had about myself. One of those being that I wasn't smart enough, that I wasn't smart enough for higher education, wasn't smart enough to be anything other than like an athlete or a climber. So I had to look at myself in that way and be like, how true is that? So to combat that, I decided to go back to school and finish my degree. So I went to CU Boulder and I studied communication and leadership management. And that just like really pushed me into this like, wow, I have this passion that's as big as climbing, if not bigger, something that I feel like I can grow so much more in, like recognizing the importance of the words we use and our body language, tone of voice, how we relate to other people, how we don't relate to other people, where those points of conflict are, how we can manage like differences of opinion and perspective and life experience. Like these are all things that I truly believe the world can benefit from the world and individuals like one-on-one partnerships, relationships, like there's just so much material, just like there is so much in climbing, right? There's so many disciplines, so many ways to learn about yourself as an athlete, as a human being. I just saw a lot of crossover basically between what I had learned as a climber and like how I could expand as, as a student. Yeah. What a cool opportunity to like sharpen the toolkit to be able to then explore your life up to that point, but then kind of have this new lens to be able to look at things as you're going forward. And the focus being on, in in some respect, relationship, partnerships. And of course, that can be personal relationships. It can be relationships, uh, as we all have our own relationships at the crag. Um, what were the big learnings there for you? Well, one big learning, one big takeaway that I'm still always learning is like, what kind of relationship am I developing with myself? And how am I projecting that version of myself onto other people? And how am I communicating that? So this is where I'll get like a little vulnerable or whatever. Like, Let's go. (laughs) I've been in a relationship, like a romantic relationship, pretty much my whole dating life. Like Mm -hmm. I got my first boyfriend at 15 and my relationships, I think we were we dated for like nine months or something. And then each of my relationships for a while had gotten like longer and longer. So like first boyfriend, nine months, next boyfriend, like a year and a half or something. Boyfriend after that, like two years onwards until I, you know, had a, I was in a five-year relationship where I got engaged. And each of these relationships, like they, I wouldn't call any of them good or bad. Like they just, you know, I try not to project like judgments as much as I can. Obviously I still do. There's good and bad parts to it. But ultimately I learned a lot from each of these relationships. But being constantly in a relationship and also like jumping from one relationship really quickly into another, like that is a relationship pattern of mine that I recognized, started to recognize and like, you know, admit to myself, like what? Why, like, what? It, where's the dependency coming from? Who are you when you're by yourself? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. And I would kind of, and I remember, like, I would break up. <laughs> this is another fun fact about me is I had never been broken up with until recently, which is a different story, which is also great. But I, it was like this pattern of, like, building relationships and then running away from them with the excuse of, like, I don't know who I am when I'm by myself. Were you aware at the time 
during these ever lengthening relationship stints that there was a discomfort with just being on your own and that's what led you to quickly jump into the next relationship or was it not at the conscious level at that time? It really, it actually wasn't at the conscious level until the end, pretty much towards the end of my engagement. I think a lot of it tied into that doubt that I learned about in my coaching program and in, and in school, this idea of like, oh, I'm not enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not motivated enough. So I need someone else to fill that part of me that I believe is not enough. And that I think also contributed to me like jumping into whatever the next relationship was there at the time because I was like, oh, I like, again, I should have a partner. I want to have a partner. And, but, and if, but if I'm alone, what's going to happen to me? Like, I just couldn't face that. And I wasn't even aware of it. It was just like, go, go, go into the next thing that's going to make me feel safe and comfortable. But I would always like end up unhappy in some way and dissatisfied. And I would project a lot of my own insecurities onto my partner. So I learned that you know, this is learning about myself, I would learn that, oh, I would create an idealized version of my partner that didn't really exist or, you know, expect or want them to change for me and have this almost like, I don't want to say narcissistic, but like, I I do feel really motivated in life. And I have like fairly clear goals of what I want to do. And, you know, obviously not all the time, but I'm like pretty confident and psyched. And I would think, you know, if who, like whoever I'm with, they if they can like ride my stoke and I can ride theirs, like we'll both change and grow and they'll like change in the way that I want them to change. <laughs> and just by being with me, like they'll grow off of that. And that's just not true. Right. <laughs> and it took me a while to realize that. So to answer your question, no, there wasn't a whole ton of awareness until very recently. Well, I appreciate I mean, this is just. Awesome. And at risk of devaluing the high emotional quotient of this conversation, let me bring some rock climbing into it. Sure. And uh, we'll just throw some chum in the water to to the hardcore climbers that are listening right now. And they're like, God, why are we talking about relationships? It <laughs> we're, we're getting it to it, people. Everybody just relax. This is great. This is great conversation. While you were in these relationships, first of all, were they like, were your relationships all with like climbers or people within the climbing industry? Pretty much. Yeah. My I don't know anything about your personal life. I'm so sorry if that's like <laughs> I, I, I try, you know, I hey, that and that's another thing maybe we can touch on later is like I would put a lot of my life out on social media, including that long five year relationship. And since then I'm like, wow, I don't actually want to share that much of my personal life anymore. <laughs> but yeah, my most significant relationships have been with other climbers. Okay. So, and it's great because you also just revealed that I didn't do my homework as a host and like Instagram stalk your prior relationships, but that's good because now I can be the neutral host that I should be. So you're with climbers and again, kind of coming from my world where I was an actor and I dated a lot of actresses, there's some conflict, there's some tension that can be created when you're like with a partner who's also in the same industry. There's some weird like competitiveness that can come up even though like it's not competitive but you know like there's some interesting dynamics that can occur when you're with somebody that's kind of directly in the same field as you and maybe we'll get into that but we certainly don't have to but i'm kind of interested to understand if whether you have specific examples or just maybe more generalities how these relationships impacted your climbing your training your performance what you chose to work on or travel and maybe sometimes for the better and sometimes for the worse, but I don't really have much of an agenda there, but trying to understand what, you know, what this meant for you as Nina Williams, elite rock climber during this time period as well. Yeah. Fair question. And yeah, the whole point of, of me again, kind of thinking about what I wanted to talk about on this podcast and bring to the table is the, like how climbing relationships and partnerships can both help and hinder us as people mm. and climbers. So, oh gosh, where to start? <laughs> like my partnerships, we historically, I would spend a lot of my time with my partners. So we would always climb together. We were living together, you know, things would get, things would move pretty fast. And we were just not having a lot of time or lives outside of each other. Mm. 
Which is great in a lot of ways. It makes climbing really easy. You have a built-in climbing partner. You get to learn each other's styles and you get to feel safe with each other, travel the world, see all these things, experience and share life as a couple. And that's incredible. But sometimes like people have different goals or things they want to do and those goals might get pushed to the side. You know, there's compromise within those partnerships and relationships. And I have so much gratitude for all of my climbing partnerships. And at the same time, I, I think about the moments of frustration, the moments of competitiveness, when like we weren't being kind to each other and we weren't like letting each other just do our own thing. Some instances that come to mind are like in one of my relationships, I had started out being not as strong as my partner. We were both bouldering at the time and we met in the climbing gym and he was like a little bit stronger than me. <clears throat> but as we, as the relationship progressed and as we progressed, I ended up being a little bit stronger than him mm -hmm. and he did not take it very well. <laughs> Shocker. Yeah. And it wasn't like I got astronomically stronger than him. You know, he could, we were, we became equal and then I was like maybe consistently doing things a little faster than him. But even still, there were just moments where, like, I felt really put down and, you know, there were moments where he would ask me not to, like, climb on certain problems because he wanted to do them first. Like, this weird kind of stuff where yeah. there was, like, some meanness and, again, the sh his own insecurities that he was projecting onto me. And then another example is, like, I was in another partnership, relationship where I was stronger than my partner had in bouldering and had always been stronger than him. But he had a different skill set. So he was, you know, he had a lot of big wall experience, a lot of track climbing experience, and he was stronger than me mentally, strategically, even in this like very even keeled like experience wise and having like an awareness of being in the mountains and on the wall, like that was all, he was far more advanced than I was. Mm -hmm. And there was this like moment in our relationship early on where we were joking around where he was like, oh, you can teach me how to boulder and I'll teach you how to big wall climb. And I was like, cool, like thinking we would do both. But then we ended up like mostly bouldering because he wanted to boulder more. And for me, that's it's a comfort zone. Like, I, you know, I'm like, yeah, I'll go bouldering. And it's a lot safer, you know, than going out into the mountains and teaching a Gumby trad climber, like how to trad climb. <laughs> right. To kind of expand it out to what we all experience, whether we're in a romantic relationship with somebody that we climb with, or it's just a friend group of people that we climb with often, we can run into these same themes. You know, there are themes of competitiveness. Even if you climb a totally different level, it's just like, oh, I, you know, you you flashed your warm up. Now I want to flash my warm up. I mean, like petty stuff that shouldn't matter whatsoever. But, you know, our egos just whittle their way into our mindset to much bigger things where there could be some toxic negativity or competitiveness or just like the vibe isn't right. And that can really affect like a full day at the crag or a trip or your time at the gym. And this is this has become kind of an area of expertise for you, not only because you've got a historical lens to look through on relationships where you've had some positive and some negatives, but also then your area of study and your area of focus that you're passionate about. So it'd be great to start to extrapolate some of that towards just climbing relationships in general and what you've learned and what you think maybe the rest of us could gain from that. And I think there's different dynamics that can be explored as well. There as well. There's male-female climbing relationships. There's groups of friends. There's, you know, people that you just meet at the crag. And again, this isn't an area that we've really dove into much. A little bit maybe with, you know, a couple guests in the past talking about how they need set and setting to be really well if they're going to hit that, you know, kind of that peak performance and what works for them. But you bring more experience, more education to this area. So I'm excited to look at, you know, kind of climbing relationships in general based yeah. on your own case studies here. Yeah. So those examples that I gave were examples of essentially me not being aware enough of what was going on, aware of my own needs and how to communicate those needs in a way that worked for both parties with like less compromise. Like 
in when you think about compromises, when both parties give up something and compromise is obviously a necessary part of relationships, but at some point, you know, how can we shift this, this sort of like from a scarcity mindset where both of us are giving up something to like, how can both of us gain something in a way that feels meaningful and that doesn't necessarily take away from the other person or from their experience. And I, you know, with all the things that I've studied with communication and like, it's all been towards this idea of how to raise awareness of ourselves with ourselves and without thinking about anyone else just for the moment, right? To like be selfish for a moment in a way that's actually productive and positive. I know it's, the word selfish is like a trigger word for a lot of people. And I've had this conversation with folks where I'm like, well, like, what if we think of selfishness as like self-fullness? Like you mm. can be self-full, be self-fulfilled first. Again, not in a way that's like disregarding everyone else all the time, but like, how do you know yourself? How do you get in touch with your own needs? And how do you recognize when you're in stress? How do you recognize when you're maybe lying to yourself, not being honest with yourself. Again, speaking from experience, like I've spent a lot of my life lying to myself and like sort of pulling the wool over my own eyes and being like, everything's fine. I'm fine. I'm happy until I'm not. And that's when everything blows up. Well, I'm wondering how, how do we do that, right? I mean, either one gets to maybe a breaking point where things have gotten so bad or so destructive that like you can't help but then recognize what you need, you know, maybe that how to kind of work on yourself before you you then work with other people. But maybe prior to that, are there what have you learned through your own experiences as well as your studies that could help us maybe do a bit of a self-assessment on where we're at to not only be stronger, more fulfilled, more confident, happier, joyful, calm, settled people in ourselves, but also then carries into our relationships, our relationships. What can we learn from what you've learned with regard to trying to understand where we're at, basically? Right. Yeah. So the, all the stuff I'm about to dive into, it's applicable to relationships and like the sense of self in life. It's also totally connected to climbing as well and how we succeed or fail at our goals, how we work towards those goals, how we motivate ourselves. So to answer your question, like one way, one, one thing you can start to do is to notice patterns of your history. So take an inventory of, let's say, you know, if you're in a climbing partnership and you feel a little bit weird about it or something's going on, like think about what those interactions have been in the past, again, with either with your romantic partner, your climbing partner, your friends. And again, even with yourself, like, how did you react in the moment? Was it like a fiery, you know, kind of attacking, like, oh, I'm going to blame the other person. It's their fault. Or do you blame yourself in the moment? You take on a lot of guilt and responsibility on you. Maybe you withdraw and you kind of just spin the wheels of stuff. And you're like, I don't, you know, I'm just going to like be strong for everyone else and just like not be a bother to anyone. Or you, maybe you people please, maybe you spread yourself really thin. You know, these like what happens in those moments of conflict and discomfort, both mentally and physically. So what are some of the physical sensations? Do you feel a tightness in your chest or your hands sweating? Did you just feel really small or did you want to get really big and intimidate people? What are your reactions like in the past? And how have they repeated themselves? So with me and my relationships and climbing, and even in my friendships, like I have noticed that I, you know, will project my own issues onto the people in my life and I'll blame them for things that they're not necessarily responsible for. And I'll, I have made it their fault and their problem. And then I've run away. And then mm -hmm. I've been like, you know, I'm, this is your problem, so I'm going to leave, even though it's actually my problem. <laughs> so recognizing that and then just kind of and being OK with it, just being like, yeah, I've messed up. Like I've made decisions I'm not proud of and I've definitely like hurt people in my life. But that's also an unavoidable fact of life is we will hurt other people and we will help other people and we can help other people and hurt less people by being aware of the mistakes that we've made in the past and to move forward and 
try not to repeat those mistakes. But in order to not repeat the mistakes, we have to acknowledge and like accept the mistakes we've made. So yeah. tip number one, <laughs> take inventory of your interactions and like see the bigger picture. Like what's the bigger narrative of what was going on in that moment? And that's another thing about communication too, is like we think about communication as this very transactional transmission style of communication. Like, you know, I say something to you with an intended message and you understand it and you say something back to me and it's boop, boop, back and forth. But true communication is taking in like the whole picture of a human being. So your experiences, everything that you've lived through in life leading up to this very moment, it makes sense that you would communicate and act in the way that you do, given everything you've been through and given everything I've been through in my life. It, you know, it would make sense that I'm showing up today in the way that I am because of everything that I've experienced. So just acknowledging that in other people, when you're having conflict, when you know, you're not connecting with someone, it's like, okay, take a breath. You know, this person, it, it doesn't make it, it's not like you have to accept however they're treating you, but you can be like, all right, they've got their stuff. I have my stuff and both are true and okay. So let's get even more specific if we can. When you think about kind of taking stock, then once you take stock, you get some ideas, you get some learnings about yourself and maybe the people that are in your world, what's working and what's not. And again, maybe making it more specific to kind of climbing, what did, then do you do with that information? Like when you think about going out to the crag and you're going to spend the day projecting something hard, or you're going to be trying to red point something, you know, very hard where all the factors need to come together. What do you look for? So I'm a big fan of transparency and open communication and direct communication, but direct in a way that is not blunt or like mean, just direct as in curiosity. Like, mm -hmm. cool. Like, hey, how do you like to be supported? Do you like encouragement? Do you like people like cheering for you? Do you like more of a quiet atmosphere? Do you want some snacks or, you know, what kind of gear do you want to carry? So like never making any assumptions about the day or about your partner, even if you've been climbing with them for a while. So are you asking this of your partners when you're going out? Hey, what do you need? How can I be there to support you? Or are you asking them to ask that of you or essentially offering to them what you need when it comes to blunt communication? Are you saying you're, you're telling the people that you're with what you need? or you're just bluntly asking them what they need or both maybe. It's usually, you know, it's pretty reciprocal, you know, and it can be as direct as like, how long do you want to rest on the route? I think I might warm up over here. Like I'll ask them and then I'll state my own needs. I guess I don't actually assume that they're going to ask me. I just like tell them <laughs> right? Um, because I've gotten, I'm, it's an area of comfort for me. I'm like, I've gotten good at expressing what I want in the moment. And what is that? I mean, just so I can paint a bit of a picture here. And it may change. Like you said, this is a snapshot of a moment, but we could look at China Beach, for example. Like, what does Nina Williams need in order to be at her best when she's getting ready for that big send go? Gosh, when I was working China Beach, I was pretty, I was definitely like, all right, I'm here on this trip, on my trip, and I'm going to get up to the crag at this time. So I guess I'll give some context. I am from the Northeast originally. And I grew up climbing in Rumney, but at the time I was only climbing like 5.11, low 5.12s. So I hadn't climbed any of the hard stuff. And so the whole crag is new to me going back now. But I go back to the Northeast and I also see my family when I'm out there. Mm. And so one of my caveats for this trip was I, you know, talked to my mom who lives in Laconia. It's like 30 minutes south of Rumney. I was like, okay, mom, I'm going to stay with you for a week. You know, when I first get to... Rumney. And also like, this is a climbing trip, right? It's not a family trip. Like I'm on the program of climbing <laughs> right. and I'm, and I have to do things a certain way. So I told her I would stay with her for a week. And then afterwards I would go into an Airbnb with a couple friends that were closer to the crag. So example number one of like, I know that I can't be with my mom. I mean, I love my mom dearly. She's my biggest fan, number one fan, and she wants to see me succeed, but still like staying with family, it's like, it can get a little hard not having my own space. So I was like, okay, I need my own space. So I'm going to make a little compromise, stay with my mom first, and then move into my own space. 
And then when I was with my climbing partners out there and my friends, I was like, I mean, okay, like I want to climb at this time on the route and I'll take this amount of breaks. And like it, I feel like the way I'm explaining it, it sounds a lot more cut and dry and planned out than it really was. Like I am flexible, you know, Mm -hmm. it's not like I'm like, I have to do things this way or else it's not going to work. But I was just really, I delivered the message in a way that where the, kind of the way I'm speaking now, it's like matter of fact, Right. here's what I want. I'm open to other options, but these are my needs. And, you know, what do you think? What's your opinion? How do you feel about that? Like (laughs) kind of opening different channels of conversation. Um, I think that's great. I mean, especially I'm. This is only based on the handful of conversations that I've had with female athletes, but I think it's especially important as it seems to be less common for women to voice what they want, like in a matter of fact way to say like, this is what I want. This is what I'm thinking. This is what I need. And to be able to do that, I think, you know, some men as well, I don't want to overly generalize, but that has come up a couple times where it's just like feeling comfortable at a crag when... You know, all the bros are just like stepping up to the boulder out of turn or, you know, taking 40 minutes on a project but expecting you to, you know, be up and down in 15 and this kind of thing. So even just being able to voice what you want while still saying, but I'm willing to be flexible. So like, you know, you're not being a jerk, but you're at least expressing what you want and what you need. I think that's not only important for everybody that's around, but also probably for yourself, right? Because then you now have checked that off your list. Like, okay, I made it clear kind of what my plans are, what I my needs are, and now you can move on to focus on the next thing. Yeah, it gives everyone an opportunity to work with each other without there being any guilt or assumptions or people-pleasing, you know, that can go along with it. And yeah, you're like uh, the whole like I think women in general are encouraged to like as a society we say, "Oh, women should I, I think this is less common now, I will say. I know a lot of strong, powerful, empowered women in my life, but there's is still, I mean, I sense it in myself sometimes of like, oh, maybe like someone else deserves more time or space. But again, I catch it and I'm like, nope. Like this idea of space is something I've been really into of like, how do you make your own space? How do you step into space while allowing other people to have their space. Like how can we create this concept of shared space and experience, whether that's with your climbing partner, even like walking up to a really crowded crag, you know, and there's lots of stuff going on and how can you like keep the sacredness of your own space and not let that bother you and also like have let other people have their own experiences. Anyways, another esoteric conversation thread I could talk a long time about. But yeah, and again, so much of it has to do with tone, body language. The words are important to a degree, but everything else has to do with that physical expression of how we're showing up. And we consciously or more often unconsciously show up in in like how we're feeling on the inside, that interoception. Are we annoyed? Are we judgmental? Are we feeling pressured and like small and scared? And so we're going to like push against other people and try and force them to acknowledge that. We're going to try and get our needs met in a negative way. You know, ideally we want our needs met in a positive way, but we're going to try and get our needs met in some way, whether we intend to or not. Well, yes, I agree. But it can take a long time for somebody to really recognize this, especially kind of the younger listeners who are out there who are maybe plotting through their first kind of serious relationships in this. I mean, it's a real journey. And it's what's interesting is that climbing can be this metaphor for life in a way that maybe if you're still kind of blind and making all sorts of mistakes in your romantic life, in your kind of real world relationships, the microcosm of relationship can be a relationship if they aren't one in the same, which in your example, you've had kind of one in the same. But for a lot of people out there, you're not necessarily climbing with all the time your romantic partner. And so I'm curious maybe to kind of start to wrap up a little bit on the relationship side of things, and then we can start to dive into some nitty gritty on climbing. Like if we are looking at kind of the climbing partner as the microcosm for what we may find in the real world, for you, 
what do you like in a climbing partner that isn't a romantic partner? You know, do you like them vocally cheering you on? Do you like them quiet? Do you like to do safety checks? Do you, you know, do you like a crazy amount of positivity or do you want some, you know, you suck, try harder kind of reinforcement? Like what's, maybe this has evolved over time, but like right now, what do you seek in somebody who's going to go out and either train with you or catch you on your proj? Yeah. Here's the thing. Like I, I like a lot of people. I'm at a point in my life where I, I, I have developed my own self and communication to where I'm able to climb with a lot of different folks and have a great time doing it. But in terms of an ideal climbing partner, I want someone who is going to show up when they say they're going to show up. They can like not on a time, like I'm late sometimes and my, you know, I don't care if people are late, but like don't totally bail on me last minute. Right. <laughs> um, I want a partner who is psyched on their own goals, who like has their own program. I want someone who has their own program and like if my program matches up with their program, great. If I can like ride their program, awesome. If they want to go support my program a little bit, sweet. But like just someone who is motivated, self-motivated in their own way and, and able to communicate that to me. So like I tell people some something I've heard a lot from the climbing community is folks have trouble finding consistent climbing partners or friends or groups of people that they feel like they can meet up with on a regular basis. So um, this is a tactic I learned from a former partner, actually, is you like make a list of people in your notes, right, in your phone or whatever on a piece of paper, write a bunch of people that you can climb with, whether you like climbing with them, even if you don't like them, maybe as a person, maybe they're still like working the same project as you. But anyways, you just make a long list of people or shortlist people that you would climb with. And on the days that you want to go climbing, you text those people, you call those people, and probably like 60 to 80% of those people are going to say no in one way or another. They're going right. to be like, I'm too busy. I'm working something else. But like, don't take that rejection personally. And you just keep asking. <laughs> you go down the line. Because if you want to go out rock climbing, you should go out rock climbing. And it honestly, like the people part is so important. But at the end of the day, like go climbing no matter what. <laughs> so, yeah. um, you know, you continuously go down this line of people. And after a while, you notice the patterns and you start taking note of who shows up for you, who's psyched, who do you like hanging out with? And you got to go through the gauntlet of like sometimes negative experiences and a lot of rejection. But if you stay consistent and you show up and you keep texting people, like other people will show up for you. Hell yeah. Love that. Thank you. You know, we're, we're about an hour into this thing and um, we haven't once talked about uh, weighted hangs or, or finger exercises. Uh, and we will, people, I promise. But this has just been so uh, refreshing and valuable. And, and I, I really appreciate you um, not only bringing this concept to... Our, our chat here, but also like cracking open your heart and your head and using your experiences to uh, paint some themes that I think are widely applicable to to so many people who are, are listening here. So I want to wrap up this pre-chapter on relationships and on communication, and then we can, I guess, kind of dovetail into um, getting nerdy and nitty gritty on on climbing. But before we do make that transition, is there anything that we didn't touch on or or how would you want to sum things up? So like I talked a lot about some of the negative aspects um, of some of my relationships and just this idea that relationships can both help and hinder our climbing in our lives. And I'm also finding a ton of support like in my friendships. Like I'm just expanding my sense of the word relationship in a way that like feels really good to me. And I just have to give a nod and a shout out to the people in my life right now that have been supporting me and I've been able to support in return in ways that I was not able to do before. So the, basically the takeaway of that that I hope other people see for themselves is like just this encouragement of creating relationships for yourself that feel really good, that feel supportive. And I've just surrounded myself with people that are like cool and fun and that really fill my cup and that I don't feel like I'm taking away from them or they're taking away anything from me. And I still have a lot of time to myself. Like I'm, you know, 
I'm single, I'm living alone, I'm doing my thing and it's awesome. And I'm still able to have like really fulfilling relationships. And that there wraps up part one with the thoughtful, honest, and insightful Nina Williams. I hope you got as much out of the special relationship-focused conversation as I did. And I hope you're super psyched for part two, where we will shift our focus to training and performance, of which Nina has just as much authority and experience in as she did here, as we cracked open all things relationship. Now, if you'd like to connect, you can find Nina on IG at Shenanigans and me at The Struggle Climbing Show. In a second, I'm going to hit you with some takeaways from this relationship episode here. But first, let's support the brands that have made this episode available at zero cost to all of y'all. Give it up for Fizzy Vantage, the official climbing nutrition sponsor here at The Struggle. They just released a greens powder that you can now level up your daily nutrition with. And I am telling you, it tastes fantastic. And it is packed with amazing whole foods, nutrients, prebiotics, probiotics, and more. I start every single day with it. Check it out, along with everything else that they're making to help athletes perform at their best. In Europe, you can find it on the Epic TV and Banana Fingers online shops, and in the U.S. at select gyms, and of course, at fizzyvantage.com. Hit that link right there in your player, or use code STRUGGLE15 at checkout for 15% off. And a big chalky fist bump to Friction Labs, whose performance chalk is free of fillers and drying agents, which means you can chalk up less which saves you money, and also it cuts down on the impact to the routes that we love to climb on. And speaking of which, our friends over at Friction Labs want us all to remember to brush our holds and clean our tick marks off when we're done out there at the crag, and that way we can leave the routes even better for the next climber. So pop over to frictionlabs.com and use code STRUGGLE20 for 20% off your first order. Chalk up less and climb more with Friction Labs. So my big takeaway from this first part of my chat here with Nina, I think was just to honestly take a fresh look at my climbing relationships and also how I communicate my wants and needs to those that I'm climbing with. Now, personally, I really like positive vibes and encouragement and also like confidence regarding safety systems. You know, I want to know that I'm super safe and supported before I pull onto a route. So when it comes time to putting in that max effort, I really am confident and I can put everything else out of my mind that was a great uh, reminder here in, in chatting with Nina on uh, thinking about who I'm spending that time with out at the crag. But also maybe just as importantly, but something that I haven't put as much consideration into in the past is then having that open communication and asking my partners what they want out of me. You know, what I want isn't necessarily what they want. And just putting that out there, um, I think could really make for a better day and a more fun day at the crag. Also just being a better partner. So that clear communication is something that I was really impressed with in this chat with Nina and something that I'm personally now inspired to take into my time at the gym and at the crag. Well, that clips the anchors here on part one with Nina. Stay tuned for the second half of our chat dropping soon. And until then, just a big shout out to all you patrons and subscribers out there for helping to keep the lights on here in the podcast slash utility closet in my basement. The most direct way that y'all can support this show is by subscribing right now in your Apple podcast app or popping over to patreon.com slash the struggle climbing show and just finding a tier that works for you. For about the price of a cheap beer or a fancy cup of coffee each month, you'll get access to exclusive content like extended and ad-free episodes, pro clinics with the biggest names in the sport, teaching topics from finger power to endurance to moonboard to big wall tactics. They're like your own little private lessons with pros, plus other perks and swag that we offer to patrons and subscribers. You can cancel any time if you aren't psyched on what you're getting. So I don't know, maybe just check it out for a month and see what you think. Thank you. I love you. Now, two other little things that you could do to support the podcast here at zero cost, plus if you want, you can score yourself a free sticker, is to rate and review the show on Apple or Spotify. Give me a million stars if you think I deserve them or whatever. And um, also pop over to the YouTube channel and hit the subscribe button. It's just youtube.com slash at the struggle climbing show. Both of those will really help to get the show out to a wider audience. And uh, I appreciate that. Hey, did you know The Struggle's carbon neutral in partnership with the Honold Foundation? Uh, you do now, and they're awesome. So check out everything that they're working on. They're doing amazing work 
to bring clean energy to communities around the world, including power to 15 rural Ugandan hospitals that otherwise would lack electricity. So, so cool. Swing by the HamaFoundation.org to learn more, to take action, and to support with a tax-deductible donation if you can. Lastly, The Struggle is a proud member of the Plugtone Audio Collective, a diverse group of the best, most impactful podcasts in the outdoor industry. This show was produced and hosted by me, Brian Devlin. The Struggle makes us stronger. See y'all next week.